Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the industry to discuss uh, the week in news and issues relating to financial advisors. I'm Damien Fantato, the deputy editor of Financial Advisor. These days, the news can feel slightly bewildering. At least, that's what I thought uh, last night while I was watching what was happening in Parliament while doing my, doing my ironing. It's not all rock and roll being a financial services journalist. Our guest this week is Chris Budd, founder of Ovation Finance and the Eternal Business Consultancy and a published author. Hello, Chris. Good afternoon, Damien. Hello. Hopefully we're going to take a little step back and discuss a couple of topics that advisors will hopefully find helpful regardless of what's going on in politics. Uh, now, one of those is financial well-being, which is a, a subject that you've written about and be, had a public book published about. That's right. In fact, um, I like to claim that I invented the expression financial well-being. Uh, it just so happens that a couple of people had invented it before me, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so why do you think this is something that advisors should focus on with their clients? If we as advisors um, advise people on their money, then how can you not relate that money to what they do with it? Money is a tool. Money is something that you use to make you happy or unhappy. And I don't see how we can give advice to people without somehow relating it to objectives, to life goals, to what makes them happy. Mm -hmm. So um, it came about because uh, I had um, read a report by Barclays Bank called Financial Wellbeing. And um, it was all about uh, well-being in the workplace and all about how debt is bad and how we should do budgeting, which is good stuff, but it was all quite negative. So I wanted to look at the more positive angles of financial well-being, what we can do to make ourselves happier, how we can use money to be happier. Um, so the title of the, or the subtitle of the book is Financial Well-Being, How to Use Financial Planning to Make You Happier as Well as Wealthier. Mm -hmm. I mean, this sounds a little bit touchy-feely. Some advisors might prefer to talk about how the FTSE 100 is doing and how the mar what the markets are up to at the moment, particularly these days. Um, that's easy. Yeah, that's an easy way to go about things. Um, however, I would suggest that advisors who are still doing that in five years' time won't have many, many clients left. Um, I really do believe that people are way more savvy uh, now than they were a decade ago, and in a decade's time, um, people are going to want a lot more from their advisor than simply telling me what the benchmark means and how my fund is compared to somebody else's fund. Um, mm. Clients don't actually care about that stuff. That's the honest truth. Clients aren't interested in their investments. I would suggest that clients come to financial advisors specifically so they don't have to think about their money. Mm -hmm. And so if you do an annual review, which goes through the intricacies of a portfolio, look into their eyes. <laughs> look up. Are they actually interested in what you're saying? I would probably suggest not. However, if you create a cash flow forecast, which is helping somebody to get to a life that they didn't even know was possible before you went to see them, that is powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. I suppose it, it might be particularly relevant uh, when we've just come off, off the back of a couple of months where there's been a certain amount of market volatility, things haven't been going particularly well uh, on the investment markets. You need to sort of maybe hold someone by the hand a little bit more and tell them it's going to be okay. Don't panic. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be controversial and say no. Okay. I mean, I mean, I probably That's do fine. agree with you a bit, <laughs> but where's the fun in that? Uh, I would say no. If you go and see to some see somebody, I, I remember going to see people and saying, "I've got really good news," 
Mm. Your money's only gone down by 15%. (laughs) (laughs) What a message to deliver, that is. Mm. They don't want to know. You've already trained them at the beginning that markets go down as well as up. Mm. So it's not a surprise. Um, I, I, I do agree with the behavioural finance and how we have to help people to not make silly mistakes. I do agree with all of that. But um, but if we if we stayed away from that stuff and instead worked about, worked on what are your goals, what's what's your life all about, how much assets have you got, how closer are you to getting the things that you want, I would suggest you would have a happier client than if you went along saying the market's gone down. Let's talk about it. They don't want to know. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to a couple of advisors who sort of choose their clients a little bit on the basis of this. They sort of they they don't like having clients who take an interest in 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 what their their money is doing to that extent. Do you do you take it that far? Uh, I wouldn't say choose clients, but I do believe that you need to have a clear flag in the ground. Um, a flag around which, uh, which which kind of advertises what you are, a sense of purpose of your business. So at Ovation, um, we have a strap line, which is that we help clients to use their money to accumulate life, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So that's our strap line. I've written the Financial Wellbeing book. We've published the Financial Wellbeing podcast. It's pretty obvious that when you come to us, you're going to get people who are going to be talking to you about your life, not about investments. And that therefore self-selects. So if somebody were to phone us up and say, you know, I've got a million pounds to invest, you can take as much upfront commission as you like, um, you can, you, and I never want to see you again, we wouldn't take them on as clients. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be right for our service proposition. It's not a good fit. So I, won't, I, don't, I wouldn't say we, we select clients or not select clients, but this is what we do. And if, this, if you want what we do, come and join us. You, know? you feel that's very much the future of being a financial advisor? I do, yeah, because if uh, robo-advice... Um, is taking a lot of the investment side. Whether it's going to be successful long-term or not is questionable, but um, it's a lot easier to do it yourself these days than it was. It's also quite easy to get cash flow forecasting. I believe 7IM's app does a simple cash flow forecasting tool. So the ability to do a spreadsheet isn't enough anymore either. I really do believe you need to focus on helping people with their goals, coaching them, using coaching skills, and focusing on how you can make their life better. I mean, who wouldn't want to pay money for that? Um, If I can give you one example, um, we had a client who, the one, one meeting with me, and they basically decided to retire. So we had a cash flow meeting. We also had some coaching in the meeting, talked about what they wanted to do in life. And that lovely line that you, every advisor enjoys saying, which is you're now working because you want to, not because you have to. Mm. And at the end of the meeting, he decided, right, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out. I'm, and he resigned from his job and he retired. Seven years later, that client came for a review meeting, was questioning our feed. And I said... But um, all the things that we've done for you over the years, that's what the fees have gone. He said, well, what have you done for me? So we'll help you decide to retire. Did you? He'd completely forgotten. Mm. So one of the things that we do because of the financial well-being stuff is we give people a report which says the decisions that we have made this year which are making your life better. So, and that could be saving some life insurance. Now, you don't... Um, you don't get paid necessarily for recommending somebody cancel some life insurance they don't need anymore. This saves them money that enables them to go on a holiday to see their auntie in New Zealand or what have you. But that's an important part of what advisors do. So write it down, put it in a report, refer back to it, add it up, and then start explaining. That's why we're here. That's the role that advisors fulfill. 
And so you're forming a much stronger bond and stronger relationship with your clients than just looking after investments. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the future advisors are going to be having to be much closer to their clients, delivering a much stronger relationship than simply reviewing investments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, one of the other things that you've been keeping yourself busy with recently is uh, the idea of uh, succession planning. And you've recently launched the Eternal Business Consultancy, which focuses on encouraging advisors to take up employee ownership. Um, do you think it's better for the advice profession and for their clients to have a lot of firms with a lot of different business models, whether they're big consolidators, employee-owned businesses, or um, regional advisor firms? I'm not sure I do necessarily agree it's best for clients to uh, be... It's okay, you can disagree with me if you want. Um, <laughs> ...to be part of uh, a massive firm that doesn't deliver the right level of service. Um, you know, can massive firms deliver the right level of service? Yeah, probably. Are they? Uh, some maybe, but plenty aren't. Uh, I know from my own research is that when I was looking to potentially sell Ovation, that the people who um, I was looking at would buy the, the service proposition was nothing like the level of service that I was, uh, our clients were used to. And I didn't want to go down that route. Um, it didn't suit me, didn't suit the employees, didn't suit the clients. So um, can it work? Yes. Is it working? I would suggest sometimes yes, often no. So um, how much of a change of mindset do you think um, employee ownership requires for advisors? Because that moment of selling to a, to a consolidator, a lot of firms sometimes feel like they're sort of moving towards that inevitably and that's sort of quite ingrained in sort of the culture of yeah, how I think advisor firms true. work. I, I think that's true. There is, um, there is a certain game that's played. So you might see reported in the press that uh, a company has sold for X amount of money or X times renewals. That's not actually the amount of money the owner ends up getting. Um, it's called a fish and chip deal. It actually has a name in corporate finance world. A fish and chip deal is where you um, go out fishing for by, by putting out a nice big number of, of a potential valuation. And then once you get them hooked in, you chip away at it and end up with a much lower actual amount that they end up getting. Mm. So I personally was absolutely dreading the moment when I was going to have to deal with these people. I've heard so many stories. I would stress I've also heard some stories of people who have got all the money that they were promised. Mm. So I'm not suggesting that that all consolidators and um, everybody who's looking to buy a business are bad people, not in the slightest, but there are some out there. I've heard some awful stories. And I was just dreading getting involved in that whole world. And for me, employee ownership, um, as well as meaning I didn't have to go down that route, it actually is a brilliant route in so many other ways because it gives all the advantages to the employees and to the owners that they would want in an exit. If you're sort of preparing your firm for, for sale to a consolidator, how different a process is that to preparing it for sort of employee ownership? Well, I've only done the one, so I can't speak with too much authority, but I would imagine... Um, the people who would sell to a consolidator, um, what you're doing is handing over a bunch of clients, aren't you? So I don't think, and, and somebody may well be free to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think you are preparing your business to be sold. You're, pre- you're preparing your clients to be sold. Mm. Whereas with an employee ownership trust, you are taking time, and I mean a few years, to get the business ready so that it can continue beyond you. 
And for me, that was the big advantage, is that it meant that I was leaving a legacy in the form of my business. The clients would carry on being looked after in the way that they were used to. The employees would carry on following their own sense of purpose, which hopefully aligns with the company's sense of purpose and so on. So it's a very different exit. Um, One leaves a legacy, one hands the clients to somebody else in return for some money. Mm -hmm. I suppose this um, that's only really viable, um, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if you have a, a, a business of a reasonable size, where you have a, size, an, a reasonable number of employees. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Uh, um, the, I often get asked what's the minimum number of employees for an employee ownership trust route. There isn't a minimum. There's no rule in place. But the lower the number of employees, the higher the risk, because you have, of course, you've got to have this company continue in order that it pays you out. So um, if you've only got, I don't know, three employees, then it means if one of those employees leave, there's a higher chance that the company might fold. So uh, I have a company I work with who has only three employees, um, and they're working on a plan to potentially grow it over the next few years. But as that owner says, well, look, when I sell it, um, if I sell it to the employees, I've got the same risk anyway. So actually, I've not got any extra risk. Um, but I think it's fair to say if you have, let's say, as a rule of thumb, 10 employees, that's probably ideal. A lot of owners that I speak to aren't about to sell immediately. And so what we work on is a, let's say, five-year plan to grow the business from, say, six or seven employees to 10, and at the same time, get the business uh, in the right shape so that they will be able to just step away. The business gets sold to the Employee Ownership Trust, and the clients barely even know the difference. And as an advisor who's sort of selling through this process, are you necessarily sacrificing that income or payout that you might get um, when you sort of sell your business? Because some so, advisors might think of that as being the way they retire, the way they move into retirement. Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair comment. You might, I often come across management teams who have expectations of, of share ownership. Um, there are a number of points on this. Firstly, the Employee Ownership Trust needs to have a controlling interest which means 51%. So the management team can buy the rest of it. That is one option, got a hybrid scheme. And of course, that gives an extra advantage because the management team then have uh, a guaranteed exit vehicle themselves at a later date. So that can work. Um, But also, I quite often suggest that management teams go off and do their own financial planning because what they'll find is very often that the Employee Ownership Trust profit share will give them all that they want without the need for having to come up with any money. Because, of course, buying shares does involve risk. Um, The value of shares can go down as well as up, as we well know. In the Netherlands, their equivalent of RDR said that no advisor was allowed to take any form of payment from a product. Mm. And it came in overnight. So literally, the next day, no more payments from any product. The only way you're allowed to get paid is by invoice to a client. Mm. Imagine what would happen to the value of businesses if that happened over here. So um, these things can happen. Value of shares can go down as well as up. And what the EOT does, Employee Ownership Trust does, is it allows people, the employees, to get involved in the ownership of the business, but without actually having to come up with any money Mm -hmm. or take any risk. Yeah. Okay. And are you having much interest from advisors? If you, um, this is still quite early days. Um, so there's 250 employee ownership trust companies in the UK. That's mm-hmm. all. It's only been around since 2014. I've got an online program which takes um, uh, owners and then leadership teams and then all employees in three separate courses 
It takes them through everything that they need to do over the course of several years in order to get to the point of being able to transition to an employee ownership trust. And I've currently got 78 companies looking at going on that course. Um, it was only launched just for Christmas. We've got five companies actually going through it and another 78 looking. So interest is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every, virtually every single time I speak to a business owner and explain what I did, you see the look in their eye as they say, yeah. hmm, will that work for me, I wonder? You know? uh, Chris, thanks very much for your time. Um, that's been fascinating. Um, for our listeners, do join us again at the same time next week for another FT Advisor podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.